Nothing like the presence of God, isn't there? Nothing like the presence of God. Um, did we, um, I kind of came in, I wasn't here through the first half. We talked about living waters, right? Okay, all right, I thought that was announced. I just want to make sure that that was, was, uh, was given. Um, for those of you who uh, may have remembered me this week, uh, this past week, I thank you for your prayers. Um, I know some of you would probably like to see this, but um, for all eight, nine days that I was there, sometimes three services a day, sometimes two services a day, I had to wear a suit and tie. Yes, exactly how I felt, too. So, um, <laughs> Lord delivered me from that years ago. No, I'm just joking. Um, it was a good camp, good to, good to be away. And, um, and so it was a, uh, the Bentleyville um, non-denominational holiness camp. So it wasn't Church of God, but it was a holiness, which Church of God, we come from that as well. So, And this weekend, I covet more of your prayers and your, some more of your forbearance. Uh, this is a rough month of camps for me, but, um, you know, the church can function uh, without the pastor around for a little bit, I'm sure. So you guys got things covered. But I'll be going to Hollow Rock next weekend. That's the camp that I grew up at, and um, I'm excited to do that. That's another... It's going to happen. I'm just going to come out. It's going to happen. All right. Uh, another eight or nine day uh, camp meeting, and that's three services a day. But I don't have to wear suit and tie for that. Praise the Lord for that. So, yeah, Daryl's saying good. All right. All right. I think we are going to be coming uh, to the close of this series that we've been on for a long time. Brian, are you going to try and do this? We'll be out real quick if Brian preaches. Yay, Brian. Right. Yeah, we're coming to the close of our... Here we go, Ryan. We tested it. We tested it before. Start it again. Try it. You be, you be my wingman again. Rich had to do that a couple... You trying it again? It's not working. It's not working, so you have to be my guy, okay? Sorry, you're going to have to pay attention to me, Ryan. I know that uh, it's kind of hard. Try not to, no more falling asleep up there, so, okay. I've thoroughly enjoyed this series. Um, Don't know about you. Um, And we're on to, I think, uh, part eight or part nine, I forget now. But uh, reading one of Jesus' next Beatitudes, go ahead, Ryan. Uh, Jesus said next in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Um, I'm reminded of a story a number of years ago, not a story, but I had to do the wedding of a couple. And uh, it was a, a wedding to where uh, they were coming from blended families. Each um, had children of their own. And uh, the, the day before the ceremony, of course, you know, the rehearsal and all that. Well, the groom's daughter did not show. There was some contention amongst the family members. And I remember it was causing a lot of anxiety, a lot of grief, a lot of anger. And, um, and she never did show the entire day before. Day comes of the wedding on Saturday, still no show. They didn't know what was going on. They had not heard from her. And about 30 minutes before the wedding was supposed to start, she shows up with dress in hand, just acting like she had been there the whole time and just ready to take her place in the party and with the, maid, uh, with the bridesmaids. Well, uh, the bride-to-be, it was not her daughter, it was the one she was getting ready to marry, his daughter. The, um, the bride-to-be was not very happy about this. Remember this, honey? Remember this situation? Sure do. 
in about, I'm, no lie, about 15 minutes before the ceremony was to begin, um, someone said, Pastor Brock, um, the groom needs you in the back. And I walk in the back and he hands me his cell phone. And he said, I need you to talk to so-and-so, his bride-to-be. He said, she no longer wants to go get married with me. Fifteen minutes before their ceremony is to begin. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And I got on the phone and I talked to her. I said, what's going on? And she told me how upset she was and just blah, 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 blah. And, and, and here I am playing counselor on the cell phone with the bride that is about 20, 30 feet away from me from the groom. Just crazy, you know. And, and I, I tried to clear her mind, clear her head. I said, look, you love him, right? Yes, I do. He loves you, right? Yes, he does. All of these other things will work itself out in time. Don't let this distract why you're really here. But instead of being the minister of a wonderful, glorious, blissful wedding, I felt more like the justice of the peace between, between two warring parties. It was just crazy. Um, and I thought of that story. They ended up getting married, by the way. And um, I think they're still married, uh, which is great. We're going to try it? It works. Am I there? I'm there. Okay. <laughs> I hear a yay, Brian. Is that what I heard? Yay, Brian. Um, peace. It seems like um, there's anything but peace in our world today, right? So much unrest, so much conflict. Our government is in heavy conflict with places like Syria and Russia and Iran and North Korea. Conflict abounds in not just governmental affairs, but we know that there's a lack of rest and, and conflict. I, I'm amazed at how Satan is unleashing all that he has on our marriages today. Uh, I'm amazed at how Satan is unleashing all that he has on our families today and just relationships within the family. I think we would probably be shocked at the number of homes that we drive by every day on our places to we go back and forth to work or just going to the grocery store, the number of homes that we drive by every day that is just filled with unrest. There is no peace, no contentment at all. Seems everywhere you look, there is unrest. And in the midst of this world, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When there are times of conflict, times of unrest in homes and marriages and families, even in churches and communities, there are three things that I believe that we need to do in order to bring about peace. And I'm just going to give them to you right up front, and then we're just going to take the rest of the time and talk about it. I'm going to keep trying this, Ryan, just to see. But those three things are, nope. All right. Um, here, I'm just going to throw this. Jenna, catch it. Ready? Catch. There you go. I don't need that anymore, all right? Okay, good catch, girl. All right. All right, Ryan, you ready? Here we go. The model for peacemaking, those are the three things right there. Now, I could just read those, say amen and go home, but I'm not going to do that because I work kind of hard on this message, so we're going to go with this. The first thing that we need to bring about, to bring about peace, there needs to be humility, folks. There needs to be humility. The second thing that needs to take place is, once humility takes place, is you need to seek the Lord for guidance and direction. And then obey. And see, it has to be in that order, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. What I do want to talk about, and it's in an obscure place here in Scripture, but as I was reading through Second Chronicles recently, those three things just stood out to me, and I knew that we were coming up on Blessed Be the Peacemakers, and I said, God, I think you're just telling me something here. I want us all to turn to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 12. 
Second Chronicles chapter 12. And we're going to look just briefly before I get on to the main gist of my message. We're going to look briefly at evidence of what we're talking about here. As you're turning there, we're going to be talking about three kings. The first king that we're going to talk about is King Rehoboam. King, uh, go to the next one, Ryan. King Rehoboam, he was the son of Solomon. King Rehoboam came into his reign, and one of the first things that he had to do, the people came to him and, and they began to complain. And they said that your father, King Solomon, he put a heavy burden on us. Come to find out later that what Solomon was doing was overtaxing the people. He was burdening them to death. And so they came to King Rehoboam and they said, Your father has overburdened us, so would you please lighten the load for us? And if you do, we will serve you. King Rehoboam said, Give me three days and I'll get back to you. And then the story goes, in chapter 10, the story goes that he went to the advisors and the counselors of his father and asked them, what should I do? The counselors said, you need to lighten the load and they will serve you. He rejected their word and it says that he went to a new set of counselors. He brought in his new administration and it says it was those who grew up with him. Those who grew up with Rehoboam and he asked them and they said, you need to make it even harder on them than what your father did. For whatever reason, Rehoboam took their word over the first set of counselors. So he said, I'm not only going to tax you like my father, I'm going to make it worse on you. And he said, my little finger will be bigger than my father's waist. That's how burdensome this is going to be on you. And what ended up happening, the kingdom split. The kingdom divided. You've heard about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You've heard about the divided kingdom of Israel. And that's how it happened because Rehoboam would not first humble himself, then seek the Lord for his guidance and wisdom, and then obey out of that. Actually, it tells us in chapter, excuse me, in verse 18, it says, Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was in charge of the revenue, going to collect the taxes. This is in chapter 10. And the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. So right off the bat, we see where King Rehoboam acted foolishly. Instead of humbly seeking the Lord, his pride and his arrogance caused him not to look to the Lord, but to himself and others. Later in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, where I asked you to turn to, look at verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, Now it came to pass, when Rehoboam strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. Notice what it says, and all of Israel with him as well. Skip to verse 14 with me. This is the end of Rehoboam's life. Second Chronicles 12:14 and 15 it says, "And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord." The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah the prophet and of Edo the seer concerning genealogies? And listen, and there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all of their days. When we do not go through life humbling ourselves and then seeking the Lord and His wisdom and His counsel and then obey based on that, folks, there's going to be unrest in our life. There's going to be conflict in our life. It's just going to happen. Next, let's look at the son of Rehoboam, Abihah, son of Rehoboam. He entered his reign in basically in basic conflict. Uh, conflict with the northern tribes. Uh, Rehoboam uh, was king once it divided. Rehoboam was king over the, uh, the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Benjamin. All the other ten they left and they were the northern tribes. And so here is King Abihah. Entered his reign in the middle of war and conflict that I believe his father had set up. Because his father had not been wise before the Lord, King Abihah 
encountered all of that conflict. But unlike his father, 2 Chronicles 13 tells us that this king humbled himself submitted himself into the hands of God, and he condemned the northern tribes for forsaking and rebelling against God. Just hang with me here. I'm trying to set this up. I'm trying to let you see the pattern of what is going on here. In Second Chronicles 13, verse 14, it tells us that Abihah completed the second and the third requirements in our model for making peace. Let's read that. Second Chronicles 13, verse 14. Now what had happened was the northern tribes had come and they had attacked King Abihah in southern Israel. And it says in verse 14, And when Judah looked around, to their surprise, the battle line was at both front and rear. And here it is. And they cried out to the Lord. And the prophets sounded the trumpets. You see what they did? They first sought the Lord for his direction, and then they obeyed the voice of God. And because King Abihah followed the model that we talked about just a few moments ago, look what God did for them. Continue reading in verse 15. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abihah and Judah. Listen to this. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Then Abihah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Wow. Verse 18, Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because, now don't miss this, they prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers you can start to see a pattern of what is happening here. Let's go to the next king, King Asa. He is now Abihah's son. Let's look at his life. I want us to go into chapter 14. and Don't miss what verse 1 says. 2 Chronicles 14.1. Continue reading here. So Abihah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land was quiet for ten years. Don't miss that. It says that the land was quiet for ten years, and I firmly believe because it was his father, King Abihah, followed the pattern for making peace. He humbled himself, and he sought the direction and the guidance of the Lord, and he obeyed the voice of the Lord, and that then then brought peace to the different generations. Mom and dads, if you want to bring peace to your kids, follow this model. If it, It trickles down to the generations. If you want peace to continue on, obviously, you know, we don't take away the free will of our kids. I understand that. But there is a model that we can follow here. And King Asa just inherited the peace that his father had paid a good price for earlier. King Asa sought after the Lord with humility and obedience. It says, by doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And what was the result of King Asa's reign? Let's look at this. Second Chronicles 14, 6. Go down a few verses. 6 and 7. It says, he, and he built fortified cities in Judah. For the land had rest. He had... Do you hear that? The land had rest. He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. There's a pattern here. God had given them rest because they had sought Him. And you can't truly seek the Lord if you don't humble yourself. Now, it would be wonderful here as King Asa, the first ten years of his life was restful, was peaceful, was wonderful. Wouldn't it be great if we could go through our entire life without having any conflict, without having any unrest? But that's just not how life works, is it? Sometimes trouble finds us, right? For ten years, Judah and and King Asa basked in the joys of his father's previous rule, but soon enough, conflict 
found them. I don't know that King Asa had to do a whole lot other than just enjoy what his father had already given him. But here is his first chance now. Look at Second Chronicles 14, 9 and 10. It says, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and three hundred chariots. And he came to Merashah. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of... Now give me a second here. I, I better figure out how to say this word. Zabatha. Does that sound all right? That impressive? Yeah, yeah. Zavatha, something like that. In the valley of Zavatha at Merashah. Folks, they were outnumbered two to one, but because Asa followed the model for peace, because he humbled himself, well, let's see what he did. Continue on in verse 11 and 12. Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help. Whether with many or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And because of that, verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians When conflict arises, when unrest comes into our lives, what do we do? We do this. We do what King Abiha and King Asa did. And they were outnumbered, but God took care of it. Now, I'm almost done with our history lesson. I want you to read one more thing or a few more things with me. Second Chronicles 15:1 through 5. There is a pattern here as we will continue to see. Second Chronicles 15. Starting with verse 1. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Do I hear my voice? Do I hear a voice? Oh. Lord? <laughs> Alright, verse 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. But in those times, there was no peace. Did you hear that? In those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. Why was there no rest? It's because they did not humble themselves. Seek after the Lord for His guidance and direction, and then obey. As King Asa heard these words, they were as encouragement to him. The rest of uh, chapter 15 tells us. He then went back to the people and they entered into another covenant. And they said, God, we, we covenant with you this day that we will be your people. That we will indeed humble ourselves. We will seek after you. We will follow your ways. We will obey and as he did that, last verse in this history lesson that I'm going to show you, Second Chronicles 15, 19 says this, and listen to this. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Why the history lesson this morning? Because it's here that we see the model for peacemaking in our life. Wherever there is conflict, folks, in our life, in relationships, this is the model we are to follow. Now, before I talk about what I believe is the obvious meaning of what Jesus was saying on the, on the hillside that day, I want you to know that being a peacemaker does not just deal with conflict. The Hebrew word, many of you probably know this, but what's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Ryan, go ahead. And the meaning of that word shalom really means this, promoting goodness and peace in someone's life. 
everything which makes for a person's highest good. In other words, being a peacemaker means promoting goodness, bringing goodness, speaking goodness, and doing goodness into someone's life. What does that mean? What that means is what I believe our Living Waters ministry has accomplished at different times over the last couple of years. I believe that we have brought peace into various people's lives and homes when we show up on their front doorstep and say, how can we help? People who are in trouble, people who are in need, and we show up and we're there to help them. Those of you who have been involved in Living Waters Ministry, you would have to agree with this. Um, within the last couple years, we showed up at two of my neighbors' homes, Mrs. Workall and Mrs. Klankneck, who had just recently lost husbands. They were newly widows. And we said, how can we help? And like a bunch of ants, we showed up on their property and we began to take care of some different things in their, in their uh, homes that they needed. And I can tell you, when we were done and, and we surrounded these people and we prayed for them, we brought peace. We brought goodness into their life. Just a couple of weeks ago, Ryan, I think there's a couple pictures. I don't know how well you can see that. Just a couple of weeks ago, we showed up at, showed up at Sharon Wyant's, say that, Sharon Wyant's home. Yeah, um, They had a bank of grass that was probably about up to here. I don't know, what was it, Lloyd? About 70, 80 yards probably. It could have been longer. It may have been the, the length of a football field. And so we showed up there with a bunch of guys with, with weed eaters, and um, maybe you were there as well, right? Okay. Um, and what normally takes them two or three days, we did in under an hour. And, but, but here's the point that I'm trying to get at. Sharon's husband looked at Sharon and said, why would anyone do something like this for me? Afterwards, we had fellowship. We went into their home and we went down to the basement and had some cookies and some, some lemonade or tea. And, and that was a new experience for Lee. And we prayed and we left peace in that home. We brought goodness to that home. You could tell just the spirit and the atmosphere. You were there as well, Lisa. The spirit and the atmosphere. So being a peacemaker, it's not just about conflict. It's about leaving this world a better place than when we first found it. We all can do that. We all can find ways to bring about goodness and peace into someone's life today. Maybe uh, we go out to eat. Maybe we need to bring, could, uh, speak goodness and peace into a waiter or a waitress's life. I don't know. But let's go on to the main gist of the message. One of the main things, though, I believe that Jesus was trying to get across on the hillside that day is that where, when those times of con conflict arises between you or someone else, those times, regardless of who's at fault, when the Lord tells you there's something wrong and it's time to work it out. Jesus is saying those who want to be a part of his kingdom will work it out. What he's saying is that you cannot be one of my disciples. You cannot be a citizen within the kingdom of God if you experience hurtful or painful relationships and then do nothing about it. If you and I want to live in his kingdom, we will seek to make peace in times like these. We all have had times like that in our life, to where there's unrest, to where there's, un there's conflict, and we know it and we can tell. And God prompts us, something inside he prompts us to try and make it right. Second Corinthians 5 18, the first half says this, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What, what does that really mean? Uh, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, folks, mankind has been separated from God. You know that. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But ever since that day in the garden that that sin entered the world, God has been trying to repair that relationship. He's been trying to reconcile mankind back to the heart of God. He's been trying to restore that relationship that he had in the garden that day. I believe that when, I don't know that we'll ever truly experience what Adam and Eve and, and all the atmosphere and all the environment and all the circumstances that surrounded that moment. I don't know that we'll experience that until we get to heaven. But God has been trying to restore the relationship between God and man. And he finally found a way through Jesus Christ, his son. When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that broken relationship has now been restored. Somebody say praise the Lord for that. Praise God. That broken relationship between us and God has been healed. It has been restored. And once this happens, God then wants us to be ambassadors of that same reconciliation. Go ahead, Ryan. Let's just continue on with this thought in 2 Corinthians 5. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and here we go, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And the very same chapter, at the very same speaking event on the hillside that day, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. As much as I hate to say it, life at times will be filled with times of conflict and unrest. And when this happens, and God brings it to your attention, this is precisely the moment, church, that you have to implement the model that I talked about. This is precisely the moment, because let's just face it, you know, you can, you can quietly say amen to that, but when God brings something to your spirit, and he tells you, you need to take care of this, the very first thing that you want to do is go, no. Right? Because it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's hard. And what has to happen with that? You have to first humble yourself. That's hard. Humbling does not come easy. See, God wants you to seek direction from Him. Say, God, what what do you want me to do in this situation? And then obey. And you cannot hear the voice of God. You cannot hear what He's asking you to do or telling you to do. Then you cannot obey Him if you first don't humble yourself. See, that's why the model, you have to follow that model. You see, God desires reconciliation. Church is the very reason He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to reconcile us back to God. After salvation, when our relationship has been repaired with God, we then are to become ambassadors, living witnesses of the experience that we have with God. No situation is beyond repair. No situation is too difficult if we follow that model. Now, this does not mean that every situation that we try to restore will end beautifully. Not every situation, not every relationship will be reconciled perfectly. We cannot always control what others do. But it is our duty to do what God calls us to do. Romans 12.18, Paul said, If it is possible... As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I didn't know what kind of response I would get. You all are awful quiet, but that's okay, because this is, can be a difficult message at times. And here's another painful part. You and I must be willing to look at our own actions as well. 
Sometimes in the process of it all, God's going to put his finger on us and say, you know what? You have a part to play in this as well. And you may need to apologize. See, see the model? Humble yourself. Seek the Lord. What does he want you to do? Your life is not your own. My life is not my own. Mine is to be an example of Jesus Christ. We're not always perfect at that. James 3.17, I love this. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Isn't that good? That is rich, rich, rich. I don't know if I told this story before. If I did, most of you have not heard it. Whenever we went down to Winchester, Kentucky, years ago, that was, that was, a, boy, that was a big move for me. Um, I have no formal education with music, and, you know, I just, you know, what I do, I do, and pray that God blesses it. And, and so going down to a 400, 450-person church, and I was in charge of the entire music, man, I was, that was overwhelming to me. But um, within the first couple of weeks of my ministry there, just trying to get my feet wet, just trying to get to know people, I, I really didn't know who did what and who was responsible for this and, and all of that. And there were a couple of people that were in charge of the sound system and the soundboard and all of that. And um, there was an individual who I thought was in charge of the sound system. And so I went to him to talk about a couple of issues. Well, I found out that he was not the person in charge. Somebody else was in charge. And the person who was in charge was now mad at me because I didn't go to him to find out these issues. I had no idea. I didn't know that was... That was the role. But I found that out. I, and you know how you can find that out. It's just that all of a sudden he just didn't treat me the way that he was treating me at first. All of a sudden I got a cold shoulder. Something I could just tell something wasn't right. And you know what, what I could have done? Brock and his carnal self, if I gave in to that, I could have said, come on. I don't need this. I just left my home. I just left my family in Sugar Creek, Ohio. I've moved my entire family down here. What is your problem, dude? <laughs> That's a, a part of me wanted to say that. I didn't do anything. Why are you mad at me? Humility. Seeking the Lord. And obey. And so I, I felt God saying, Brock, go to him and talk it out. So I went to his house and um, went inside. And I said, look, I said, I just started ministry here. I do not want to start off on a wrong foot. I said, I sense something has happened to us right away. I said, did I do something? Did I say something? And see, when you approach it in a way like that, when you approach it in a, what does it say? Wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. When you approach these things in a gentle spirit, and so what that ended up doing is that opened his spirit up and he began to tell me really why he was mad at me. And I was able to tell him, I say, look, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do that. It was not intentional. And just like that, a situation that Satan wanted to take and just rip, God restored and he mended and he healed. That's life, isn't it? That is what life is about. There will be times when we will run into that and we're like, God, remember the model, folks. Remember the model. <laughs> now, I'm going to say something that you're not going to expect me to hear or say. Sometimes we need to fight. Did you hear that? Sometimes we need to fight. Yes, I did say that. You can go back and check the recording. I think I got your attention now. Sometimes conflict needs to take place in order to bring about peace. I don't know of anybody here who loves conflict, who wakes up wanting to get into a conflict. But some of you out there, I'm going to speak to different personalities. Some of you are, are what they call what Gary Smalley, the marriage counselor, he's now passed away, called golden retrievers. 
You know what I'm talking about? Anybody heard that term, golden retrievers? You know what I'm talking about? A golden retriever is also known as a peacemaker. Okay? Some of you are already smiling at me, and I just know you're already one of these people here. All right, you would describe yourself as humble or loyal, uncontentious, meek, submissive, gentle, docile, but you also have the tendency to be a doormat. You also have a tendency to kind of let people kind of run over you and steamroll over you and make you feel like you're part of the problem and when really that's not the case. And if this is you, more than likely you will avoid any kind of conflict, any kind of uh, difficulty like the plague. I know some of you right now are shaking your heads inside. I'm speaking to some of you like that. Some of these type of personalities, they can be called peacemakers. But, folks, that can be a little misleading. Because sometimes peacemakers can only be, uh, peace can only be brought about by entering into conflict. To always avoid conflict, to always avoid unrest, or talking about troubling issues will only make it worse. And it can lead to even more uh, lack of peace. This principle can apply to churches as well as they deal with difficult situations. It's easy to, to turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to something that needs to be dealt with when it's going to be hard and you just don't want to deal with it. And I guarantee you it will surface at some point in time later in the life of the church if it's not dealt with. So whether it be an issue of the church, or if that's you this morning, God may, there again, if you're a peacemaker, God wants you to humble yourself. I, look, I know of, of situations of, of individuals, they're in marriages or they're in relationship to where they're not necessarily at fault, but because they're so afraid, they're, they're such a peacemaker, I guess you could say, they won't even go there. They won't even attempt to try and bring it up and have a conversation about it. And what ends up happening is they just bury the hurt. They bury the pain year after year after year, and then it surfaces in some really ugly ways later on down the road. That can happen in a one-on-one relationship. It can happen within groups. It can happen within families. It can happen within churches. Things that should have been dealt with years ago don't get dealt with, and it will rise up in the future. Sometimes we need to fight, but never should we demean anyone, never should we act ugly, never should there be any harsh treatment, firmness and love, but the failure to do so can only lead to more unrest. I'm looking at the clock, hanging there with me, I'm almost done. Notice that Jesus did not say, Ryan, in this beatitude, blessed are the peace lovers. Notice he did not say that. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a difference there. There's a huge difference. Notice notice it's only those dedicated to making peace, those willing to do the hard things that will be blessed, who will be called the children of God Being a peacemaker is not easy. That was not easy for me to go over that guy's house and humble myself, but I'm so glad that I did. That's hard. It's easy to sit around and talk about a bad situation or talk about this person or that person or what they did to hurt you or uh, what they said to offend you. It's it's, it's easy to sit around and just talk about it. Anybody can do that. But that day on the hillside, Jesus said his true children will humble themselves, all the model, will ask God, God, what is it that you want me to do? There even comes the point, church, to where you have to say, you know what, it doesn't even matter who's at fault. God, what do you want me to do? Humility. Seek the Lord's direction. What is he telling you to do? Folks, sometimes he'll tell us don't do anything. Sometimes he'll just say, just pray and wait for me to give you your marching orders. But sometimes he's going to say, it's time to act. And that's what we need to do. I've had many times in my life when I've had to be the one to initiate a conversation. Again, regardless of who is at fault. 
I've got one more point, then I'm going to be done. I'm going to end my message by starting where I believe it really all begins. You see, you and I cannot be peacemakers if we first don't have peace with ourselves. Let that sink in for a second. You and I cannot be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We cannot be people who will promote peace in our lives if we don't have peace. If the person looking in the mirror has a lot of unrest, if that person that you see in the mirror every day has unrest, then it's going to affect everything else. Will not be capable of healing and restoring relationships in our lives if there is unrest and turmoil in our hearts. If there is only one and there's only one person who can bring about the true peace that passes all understanding, and you know that's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way maker. Jesus Christ is the peace maker. He said in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, say it with me, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, perhaps there is a reason why you're at odds with someone. Maybe there's a reason why you're, you always just seem irritable and grouchy and touchy and edgy. And if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe there's a reason why you can be hard to get along with sometimes. Could it be that there's something deep within inside of your heart that's been haunting you, that's been plaguing you, that's been robbing you of your peace, and it's affecting everything else? If this is you, then maybe you need to settle whatever that issue is first and then watch how God begins to heal and repair the relationships in your life. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, it sounds wonderful. Boy, yeah, we all love peace, but when you dig into it, it's a hard message. Ouch. And where does it all begin? Humility, seeking the Lord's direction, and obeying the voice of the Lord. I'm going to tell a story in closing. Mandy, come on up and get ready to lead us. I don't think I've told this story before, but who knows. My, the very first message that I ever preached down at Winchester um, I believe I preached about the Titanic. And, and I believe my point was um, when there is disobedience in our lives, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it can have catastrophic consequences. And I likened it to the Titanic and how they said the Titanic was unsinkable. We know that, and of course we know the story. And I likened it to the church, how the church is the mighty church of God, but whenever the church allows disobedience, when the church allows uh, uh, grievances against the Holy Spirit, then even the great church, individual churches can be sunk. And so I look back at that message and I just thought, man, I mean, the concept was good, but man, it was, it was probably horrible, <laughs> you know, my first message. And, and, um, but I'll never forget. I don't know. I think maybe one person came to the altar. I don't know. But after that service, I had, a, I had a gentleman come up to me. And he told me, he said, thank you for your message. He said, God began to speak to me today about making peace with somebody. He said, there is somebody in the church here that I have not spoken to for like three years. I intentionally have been avoiding them for three years. He said... This person did something, they said something to me, just made me so angry, and I've been carrying this grudge, I've been carrying bitterness and harboring bitterness and anger in my heart. And he said, God made me realize that I cannot harbor anything. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in my life. And so he said, today, after the service, I went to this individual, and for the first time in three years, I spoke to him. And what was interesting, this other individual had absolutely no idea that they had something against him. 
And so this, this person who had the grudge for three years, he was the one that was miserable. He was the one that was just suffering through life. Every time he saw this person, he just ran from him. But thanks to the reconciling ministry of Jesus Christ, because that individual humbled himself, sought the Lord, the Lord told him it's time to go make things right, and he did, a relationship was healed. And I don't know, maybe, maybe everything is fine in your life. Maybe there are relationships that they're all fine, but maybe there's someone here today you know that you need to make peace with someone. One of the evangelists, um, you have a song? What page do you have? 607. 607. Uh, Joyce, you want to come up? Page 607. Um, don't, don't go through life with something on your heart. Don't go through life knowing that there's a relationship, something that you should have been taken care of. One of the evangelists that um, I worked with this week, he had a line, I'll never forget it, and he said this. He said, when it comes time to die, make sure that's all you have to do. Did you hear that? When it comes time for you to die, make sure that's all that you have to do. Don't leave anything undone in your relationship with the Lord or your relationship with someone else. You may not always be able to control the outcome of that moment, but what you can control is what God is prompting you to do, and then you just leave the rest into God's hands, knowing that you've been obedient and faithful. Would you stand and let's pray? You've been patient with me. Thank you for allowing me to share. I'm not going to draw this out. We're just going to do two stanzas. We're just going to do a verse, two verses and a course. And, and um, if God's dealing with you, again, our pattern here as we've been doing, if you want to pray, you want someone to help pray with you, you can come over here. If you want to pray by yourself, no one bother you, you come over here. And uh, no one, no one will, uh, will come up to you. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, this is, <laughs> we all love peace. But there are times when peace is hard. May we be your people. As we saw the kings, Lord, we can learn lessons from the, from the, uh, uh, the kings of Judah, what they did and what they, what they should have done. God, we too can learn lessons this morning. God, it all starts by humbling ourselves. Lord, if there's someone here that, that needs to repair something, I pray that they will do that. I pray that right now, even as we speak, Holy Spirit, you may be tapping someone on the shoulder, tapping someone on the heart and saying, it's time. Either you're going to be my citizen, even either you're going to be my follower or you're not, but you won't have true rest and peace until you do this. God, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.